where we left off. First Corinthians chapter five. Glad that Sammy prayed that as we go through this, it's a heavy, difficult passage. But you know, I've, you know what I've learned um, over the years going through God's Word? He always knows what we need to hear. And He gives it to us exactly as we need it, and His timing is perfect. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. yeah I mean, it's. You guys ready? This is a heavy passage. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord, the weight of it, Lord, the necessity of it. We love how you speak to our hearts, and we know it's from your heart, from a Father that loves us, that cares for us as your children. You know exactly what we need to hear this morning. Your timing is perfect. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us, that we would um, correctly divide your word, correctly apply it. And that um, you'd be the one changing us and transforming us. And so thank you for the great things you are going to do this morning, for the fresh work you're going to do. We commit ourselves to you now. We commit our hearts, our lives to you now. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right. So chapter 5. Hey, are there any perfect churches out there? No. No. How's the saying go? If you found a perfect church leave because you will blow it, right? You're going to mess it up. But that's no excuse for living a, you know, a, a life that's, that's not in line with God's word, um, willful, unrepentant sin, just, you know, I'm saved by grace, now I can live any way I want. Um, that, the grace of God teaches us something, you guys. We're told in the book of Titus about God, aren't you glad for God's grace? We sing about God's grace. His grace is amazing. And Paul said to, uh, to Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so God's grace should be teaching us something, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Such, such a great reminder. And so the Apostle Paul is dealing with an imperfect church. There's only one thing perfect about the church, you guys. That's Jesus. And we know when we gather together, he's right here with us. And he wants to do a special work in each one of our hearts, our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our ministries. And so I'm looking forward to the great things he's going to do this morning. It's taken us four chapters, or Paul four chapters, to deal with one issue. And you guys remember, it was the issue of division within the church. Now he changes gears, and he's going to deal with seven issues, seven really um, moral issues that are, that are uh, affecting or infecting the church at Corinth. And so we begin this morning with unchecked immorality or unchecked sexual immorality. That's the issue that's going on at Corinth or was going on at Corinth at this time. And what was, what was, so, uh, what was so bad, one of the things that was so bad was that rather than the church making an impact and influence in their community, 
the, the, the culture of Corinth was impacting and influencing the church. They were looking more like the world than looking like Jesus. And that's, that's an issue, isn't it? We are to be no longer conformed to this world, but what? But transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's what the Lord does. The Lord comes into our hearts, correct? I mean, it's a miracle. God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, into our lives. And if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he begins to transform and change us. And, and the Holy Spirit is leading us in a direction, you guys. He's called the Holy Spirit, not the culturally relevant spirit, not the hip spirit, not the cool spirit, but the Holy Spirit. He is taking our life in that direction, being, being, being uh, molded and shaped in the image of Jesus Christ, who is the definition of holiness, by the way. Jesus is the definition of holiness. And so that's the direction we want to be going, is, is looking to the Lord, going His way, and allowing Him to change and transform us. Because when the Lord saves us, does He leave us in the condition He finds us in? Absolutely not. He begins this marvelous work that He begins, He will see through to completion. And so the Corinth church was not being a witness for Jesus. Transform lives shining brightly for Jesus. And so look what it says with me. We begin here in verse 1, chapter 5. God's word says, Paul writing, he said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let me draw your attention back to verse 1. Paul is shocked here. He is absolutely stunned. In fact, if you look at the end of that verse, there's an exclamation point, isn't there, in some of our Bibles? Paul is shocked. He's stunned. It's almost as if he's saying, I can't believe what I'm hearing. If you have a King James version, it says what is commonly reported, right? If you have a King James. In other words, this is what you're known for. What you're known for in the community, what you're known for around the state is your sexual immorality or your fornication or in the Greek it's pornea in which we get pornographic 
or pornography. And that, it's interesting, I studied this word a little bit this week. That word pornea means to sell off. It means a selling off of sexual purity. In other words, it's sexual intimacy or sexual relations outside of the marriage bed as prescribed by God in his word. Are you with me this morning? You guys with me this morning? Listen, Jesus cares about our purity, you guys. In fact, he said in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6 that fornication or sexual immorality is an issue of our hearts. But not only is it an issue of our hearts, it's something that the Lord wants to do is give us a new heart and a new start. And when he comes into our hearts, he gives us new desires and new power to live a life that is, that is godly and, and, and pleasing to the Lord. But you may remember in Revelation chapter 2 also, Jesus had some, uh, some very heavy words for the church of Pergamos and the church of Thyatira, both churches uh, promoting sexual immorality, involved in sexual immorality. And he said, I'm going to have to bring some correction. I'm going to have to bring something that I don't want to bring. You're forcing me to bring discipline to the church. And so Jesus takes, I would say Jesus takes purity um, very seriously. Are you with me this morning still? And so Paul says, listen, this is among you. This is going on within the church. And he says, unsaved people, look at verse 1, unsaved people are not even engaged in this type of behavior. The heathen wouldn't even be doing this. The people that don't know God, all they're saying is that's gross. That's creepy. What's going on? He tells us a man has his father's wife. So this son is sexually engaged with either his mother or his stepmom is the issue. And that should shock us that this is going on within the church. Notice the word has. Has is, it means it's ongoing. This is something that, that no doubt the church had at some point addressed. People had addressed, it's still ongoing, but he's unrepentant in his sin. He's dug in. You ever met somebody that's dug in? It is frightening. And we're going to talk about this as we roll through this chapter. Someone that, that claims to know the Lord... And they're dug in on something that God says clearly in his word. That's going to wipe you out. That's going to ruin your life. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to point you back to where there is life, where there is health, where where you will grow in these things that God wants for you. But you're going to wipe out your life, man. You've been set free from that stuff. And someone that is so dug in, they will not even listen they won't, listen to, they won't listen to you, a brother or sister. They won't listen to the pastors. They won't listen to the elders. They won't listen to the church. They're so dug in. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Because here's this guy. He's in unrepentant sin. But notice what Paul says. The church was not just unconcerned about the issue, but they're glorying in it. They're glorying in it. Look at verse 2. They're, it says they're puffed up. What does puffed up mean? Proud. The church was proud of what? They were proud of their tolerance. They're proud that they had accepted and embraced this individual and what he was engaged in. Why would they be proud? Why would they be puffed up? You guys, think about that with me for a minute. Why would they be puffed up? You know why? One reason, to gain the acceptance of the community. (laughs) To gain the acceptance of the world. To please men. Listen, pleasing men is a snare, you guys. Paul said in Galatians 1, if I still sought to please men, I can't please the Lord and serve him. 
And so there's a, a pleasing of man, a fear of man, which is a snare. And you know what they were saying? We're so tolerant. We're so open-minded. We're so progressive. We're so forward-thinking in our church. And you know what? The same thing goes on today all around us, gang. Hey, you're saved. You can now live any way you please, man. You're saved by the blood. You can go wallow in the mud. No way, no sir, no way, Jose. We just read about what God's grace does. It teaches us something. Not to go down that trail any longer. We've been set free to live for the Lord. To live for Jesus. And so, if the church, listen, they had chosen, the Corinthians, they had chosen tolerance over things that needed to change. And listen, this morning, if the church is not rooted and grounded in the word of God, we can become just like the Corinthians. And so how do we deal with people who are doing things that the Bible tells us not to do? How do we deal with someone that is unrepentant, that is dug in, that is in deliberate, willful rebellion to the Lord? Let me, let me step back. Number one, you guys, we should be helping each other, correct? Do we need help? I need help. We need, don't we need to help one another? Listen, in the body of Christ, we should be about building up, helping one another, not in the demo, not in demolition, in crushing people. I think that's a good, like, preemptive strike before we hit this. We need to be helping one another. And I'm saying this because look at the first thing Paul said should have been going on in their hearts. They should have been mourning. Isn't that what it says? You should have not been puffed up and prideful, but what? You should have been mourning. You should have been grieving over this. It should grieve us when we see a brother or sister so dug in in willful, deliberate sin. Why? Because they're ruining their life. They're going to wipe out. And not only does it wipe out that person, it begins to affect the people around them. And not only that, it affects the body of Christ. Why? Because when one member suffers, we all suffer. It's not just you. Sin is toxic. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Sin is like leaven. It spreads and infiltrates and impacts and begins to touch every area around us. And so that word, listen, that word mourn in the Greek, check this out, it means to grieve over a death. The anguish you'd express if you'd lost a loved one. Why should there be that kind of mourning? Because sin ruins lives. Sin is pleasurable for a season, correct? The Bible says very short season. The Bible also says in Proverbs that the way of the transgressor is hard. It's hard, man. You're, you're heading for a hard road, friend. And so Paul's saying, listen, it ought to make you cry. What he's doing to himself, what he's doing to the church. And by the way, the woman's not even mentioned here at all. I find that interesting. And by the way, the counsel that Paul gives the church, they do it, and guess what? It works. Does God's word work, by the way? Yes. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 2. We'll find out that it worked. This counsel that Paul gives to the church. And if someone, listen, if someone in our fellowship is involved in unrepentant sin, we should be brokenhearted over them. I would say we should even be in prayer about that for them. Does prayer work? Yes. It works. Not, not pointing the finger at them. 
not going viral on them, not gossiping about them, not sharing gossip with prayer requests either. You know, we do, Christians do that. Did you know that? Oh, we need to pray for so-and-so. Guess what they're doing? Oh, tell me. Well, i got to tell you all the details because if we don't pray for all the details, God won't know. You ever heard someone say that to you? I've had someone say that to me. We need to be specific because you need God to answer specific. That's baloney, man. God knows all the details. He knows more than you and I. He sees the whole picture. We need to just pray for that person. Love covers a multitude of sins. We need to come before the Lord brokenhearted to intercede for that person that's messed up and jacked up and ruining their life. Paul says, look at this. He says, he who has done this deed needs to be taken away from among you. That individual involved, that unrepentant individual involved in this work of the flesh, he's ruining his life, he's damaging the church, should be removed from the fellowship. In other words, church discipline needs to be exercised. So is this the only passage on church discipline? Where, where's, where's the biggie? You got, come on, you guys, you guys know. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 18. Listen, we need to know this this morning. This, is, this would save the church a lot of hurt, a lot of misunderstanding. Matthew chapter 18, you guys, this is so, so important for us. When we're dealing with a brother or sister that's engaged in sin, uh, unrepentant, that's sinned against us. This is uh, Matthew 18, verse 15. The context is beautiful. It talks about Jesus seeking and saving that which is lost. His heart of rescue. loving res- He's our loving rescuer. And he wants to use you to be a loving rescuer in that person's life. Or me or whoever. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. What did your Bible say? Alone. You know how often we don't do that? The first thing people normally do, you know what often they do? They go and tell everybody else. Or they come and tell me or one of the other leaders, one of the other pastors. And you know what I tell them? Go back and read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, 16, and also 17. Go back and read it. You are to go to your brother alone. Or you know what happens? We chicken out and don't do it. Are you with me? And so the Lord says, you need to put on your big girl panties or big boy pants. I was going to say panties. <laughs> you, you man up or girl up or cowboy up or whatever up you want to do. And you go to that person alone and you share with them. And we're going to talk later about how we do that. How we are to do that. But it should be with a desire not to hurt them or harm them, but to help them. To help them to see what's going on in their life. It's going to, sin will ruin you. Well, what if that, if that person listens and responds? Look what it says. If he hears you, you have gained your... 
Yes, you've gained your brother. Hallelujah. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You know what often happens? We skip step one and go right to step two. We need to get a posse. We need to get our crew together and let them know. No, 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 no. Go back to step one and follow the Lord's instructions. Again, does God's word work? It works. Two or three, you bring them. Two or three witnesses. They've seen this going on. Again, two or three that are coming to help. Not to pound on this person, but to help this person to see clearly and to do it prayerfully. And so, but notice what it says. And if he refuses to hear them, do what? Then tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So if he doesn't hear the church, then what? You treat them as an unbeliever. You need to evangelize them. You need to minister to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're going to see what happens in just a moment when that person won't hear, refuses. They're so dug in. They're refusing and resisting the love of God. What's the, what's the final step? And you know what's so tragic is when you do come to this step. We, listen, I can only count a handful of times in our church when it's happened. And the issue in Corinth was, listen, if you, if you were put out, as this man is going to be put out of Corinth, out of the church, he couldn't go down to go to, you know, Calvary Chapel, Achaia, or Second Baptist of Corinth, or First Baptist of Corinth, or 33rd Baptist of Corinth, or the Presbyterian Church of Corinth, or he couldn't go to the Bridge of Life or Bridge of Hope or Life Bridge or any other bridge, Church of Corinth. Why? Because that was the only church. And what happens today? You know what happens today? When, when, when you finally get to this point, it's so tragic. Often people go, you know what they do? They go to another church, and, and the issue hasn't been dealt with, and they go and hide. They hide out. They, mega church. I can hide in a mega church. No one will, no one will come alongside me. To, or whatever. They don't want to deal with that issue. And so it doesn't get dealt with. It just follows them everywhere they go until it's dealt with. And then they badmouth the church. They badmouth the leadership. They badmouth the pastor. They badmouth. And it's like, whoa, we have been just trying to help you. We wanted to help you get on track. Not to harm you. Not to hurt you. And so the church at Corinth, let's get back to 1 Corinthians 5. The church, they neglected telling the truth. In the name of tolerance, they don't call this guy on what he's doing. They don't share with him. And you know what often happens to you? You see people doing destructive stuff and you don't say anything. You know what happens? They finally wipe out and like, oh, I knew it. Rather than stepping out and coming alongside them. And so the bo- listen, the body of Christ is a place where we recognize we are weak. We recognize we are in need of help. Are you with me still? Yes. Are with me still? We recognize we need help. Together we work together, growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. We, we're willing to tell the truth, open and honest with one another, helping each other. And so look at verse 3 with me. Paul says, listen, I'm not there physically, but I'm with you in spirit. And I've already come to a conclusion 
a verdict based upon the evidence as if I were there. And so he says, listen, he says there needs to be, here's the second thing, not only does there need to be a broken heart over the situation, there needs to be discernment. Paul's not there, but he says, I'm with you in spirit. I've already come to this conclusion, even though I'm miles away, I don't have to be there. It's already established by two or three witnesses. I can safely say to you that what is being done is wrong. What's going on is wrong, and I'm saying this as if I were present. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be, we know that one, don't we? With the measure that you use, it'll be used back to you, right? And so that means judge to the point of condemnation or critical judgment, but we are to have discernment, correct? We are to have discernment. And so critical, condemning judgment, no. Discernment, yes. We can never put ourselves in the place of God assuming that we know what's in a person's heart. Only God knows everything. Only God knows the full story. But listen, we are able to step back and evaluate fruit based upon the word of God. We're able to discern and declare what is right and what is wrong. And when someone is involved in something that's self-destructive, we see it in scripture and they're going to wipe out. Listen, we need to come alongside them, to share with them, to minister to them. Not, hey, you're cool, keep going down that trail. If you saw a blind man about to walk into an intersection, what would you do? Would you save him? Would you rescue him? Yeah, this person is blinded. Sin blinds us. Pride blinds us. Self-centeredness blinds us. When I'm dug in, I'm blinded. And love says what? That's going to wreck your life. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt others. And so Paul says, it's not by my authority. Look at the next verse, verse 4. It's not by my authority, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That speaks of doing things um, according to um, his character, his nature, doing things Jesus' way, but also doing things in his authority. So Paul says, not in my name, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you are gathered together, when you get together as a family, as a church, I'm there present, look at verse 4, I'm there present with you in spirit, but also the Lord's strength is there also the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is present. Did you know the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is here right now with us? That's an awesome thing to consider right now. His power here, because he's here, to help, to heal, to fix, to change, to work in our lives, to set you free. To bring newness of life to you if you don't know the Lord. A fresh start. It's glorious. And so Paul goes on in verse 5. He gives the instruction here. This behavior is not only wrong, but it needs to be dealt with. So you are to deliver such a one. Hand over the unrepentant individual to who? To Satan. What in the world does that mean? I remember the first time reading that going, what? What is that talking about? Does, can you go online and find out where he lives? And 
drop him off at his front door? What's, I mean, what's the deal? Here's what it means. In other words, you put that unrepentant individual outside of the protection and safety and covering of the church, and you put him out in the world, which is the devil's domain. Hey, if he wants to behave like that, if he wants to act like that, and, and keep going down that trail, going his way and not God's way, we can't help you here. We can't supply that for you here. Out in the world, you can have at it, man, until you're sick of it, like the prodigal. You go out there, but not here. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. It's in righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for righteousness, joy, and peace, you found the right place to come. Amen. To be in fellowship, to be connected with one another. But if you're going to continue down that trail, then you need to go out into the world. And that's not the only time Paul does this, is it? Paul says it again somewhere else. You guys remember where? Paul writing to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Remember the guy named Hymenius and Alexander? Hymie and Alex? You guys remember them? They're blaspheming. They're, they're, they're shipwrecking other people's faith. They're wrecking, they're wrecking their own lives and wrecking other people in the church. And Paul's like, I had to put them out. Hand them over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. They need to learn something out there. That blasphemy doesn't, talking trash about God, about others, has no place in the church. You want to blaspheme? Out there, buckaroo. Not in God's house. Not here. And notice, it, notice back in 1 Corinthians 5, it's twofold. This putting out of the fellowship. And by the way, isn't that awesome? Not only is the power of the Lord here, but His protection his covering. It, listen, it's different than watching online, by the way. And I know some people are watching online, they're sick, they're incapacitated, whatever. Hallelujah that we have the technology you can watch. But there's nothing like gathering together with God's people. Amen. With his power here, his protection, his covering, and he works in a glorious way in our lives. And so often we don't recognize it. The importance of gathering together as God's people. We need the accountability. That's why we do small groups in men's ministry and women's ministry. We're going to be adding more small groups. We need to have that accountability with one another and also where we experience his power and his protective covering in our lives. So notice it's twofold, the destruction of the flesh. That carnal part of him, that the carnal part of him, that fleshly part of him might be wiped out. In other words, he doesn't want to take up his cross. Then guess what? Go out there. And have at it. Because we're to take up, to follow Jesus, are we to take up our cross? How often? Biannually? Deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Here's a dude that doesn't want to take up his cross, wants to keep living life after the flesh. If you want to live life after the flesh, go out into the world, right? Just remember the prodigal, you guys? The father cut him loose, said, Go have at it here. Showed him mercy. Here, take, take, your, take your inheritance. Go for it. And what happened? He end, where did he end up? Pigsty, the pig pen. Right? Eating husks. And that's all the world has to offer is husks, by the way. Empty shells. Don't satisfy. But it says he came to his senses in the pig pen. 
The difference between a pig and a prodigal, you know what a prodigal, prodigal does? Prodigal gets up and goes home. Amen. And you know what? The Lord is here looking for you today. Just like the father was looking on the horizon for the prodigal son, waiting for, I call it, today's the day he's coming home. Oh, it's got to be today. I'll bet he was every time he looked out on the horizon looking for his son. And then all of a sudden, here he comes. I'm getting goosey bumps thinking about this. <laughs> and what does he do? Hikes up his robe. That's unheard of. A dad running to his son that's insulted him. By, by doing what he did, he was saying, I, don't care. I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I'm out of here. And here he comes, broken, repentant, coming home. And what does the dad do? He's running. I mean, can you imagine that? That's the heart of our father. That's our dad this morning. You've turned your back on him. You've drifted away. And he's looking for you right now to come home. And he'll welcome you. What did, he, what did the father do? Welcome. He didn't say, P.U., you stink, get a bath, then we'll talk. <laughs> he still smelled like the pig pen. Stinky, nasty, gnarly. What does dad do? Boom. Hugs him. Wraps him in the robe. Ring on the finger. You're my child. Get some shoes on his feet. Cook up the best T-bones. Get that barbecue cranked up. We're going to party, man. Because it should be a celebration when we get together. We're going to read in just a minute. It should be a celebration every time we gather together as God's people. Not celebrating our tolerance of sin, but celebrating how great our Savior is. Who He is, what He's done, what He's doing, and what He's going to do. With His power here to heal. Notice that He might be rescued, brought to safety. And so... When he comes face to face with Jesus Christ. So the hope is he'll hit rock bottom like the prodigal son, come home. And so let me just point out real quick, the goal of addressing sin in the church is always reconciliation, you guys. Are you with me? Always. That's all. Listen, reconciliation, if you're ever meeting with people trying to help them, um, you know, work through something. God, you may not know all the details and you're trying to figure everything out. Listen, God's heart is always reconciliation. You can be sure about that. His heart is not injuring people, hurting people, demeaning people, or making them feel like failures without hope. God's heart is always reconciliation, always hope. And there is a way, listen, there's a way we are to address when someone is messed up, ruining their life. Galatians 6. I'm going to read it real quick. I know I got off on a little, little bunny trail, but I need to get, bring it back here because time's ticking and we only got three hours left. <laughs> Galatians 6. Okay, I'm hearing you, Pastor. That's cool, but, but, but how do I do this? That's groovy. Great instructions, man. How do I do this? Galatians 6, the Lord tells us, Brethren, if a man is overtaken or caught or caught up in any trespass, he stepped over God's line, any trespass, you who are spiritual, you're the spiritual one. You've been seeking the Lord. You've been in the Word. You're filled with the Spirit. You're coming alongside, right? How do we do it? He says, restore such a one, how? In a spirit of gentleness. Isn't that great? In a spirit of gentleness. Anybody ever had a broken bone? 
No broken bones here? Maybe just me. I'm glad when my nose was broken, they did it tenderly. He didn't say, you know what? Let's, let's pop it the other way. In a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then he goes on to say, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You think you're hot stuff? Man, look out. He's like, in a spirit of not just gentleness, but humility. Considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Listen, guys, helping one another is crucial. It's crucial. And so, Paul's saying the church must take action so that he might be delivered from that which is ruining his life. Verse 6, you're bragging, you're boasting. is not good, it's bad. It, you're endorsing this, this and accommodating deliberate, unrepentant sin. The church should have known. He says, do you not know that what? A little leaven leavens the what? The whole lump. So he uses something from the kitchen to help us out, right? For you bread makers, what is leaven? Leaven is that like yeast or baking powder that does what? Makes the bread rise, right? It doesn't take a whole lot to make it rise. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It is far reaching in its influence. And what's true in dough is true with sin. A little sin, a little compromise, a little accommodation will begin to infect and infiltrate every area, is what he's saying. And and leaven is used as an example or a type or a picture of sin throughout the Bible, correct? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of Herod. (laughs) Right? Be, what does that mean to beware? Come here. Oh, look out, man. It's going to wipe you out. Paul's like, look, sin is toxic. It's like leaven. If you don't deal with the little things, they will become big things. How about that? Is that like street level stuff there? If you don't deal with the little things, they will become big things. They'll grow. And so... Therefore, in light of that, look at verse 7. In light of this, what should we do? What's the application? Purge out the old leaven. Cleanse out or clean thoroughly that spreading influence. Why? So that you may be literally new in quality or a fresh work. Does anyone want a fresh work in their heart and life today? I do. What's required? A removal of what was previously influencing in a bad way. He said, it's interesting in verse 7, he says, you are truly unleavened. And he's taking this illustration or this picture of the Passover. Correct? And the week that precedes Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the Jewish people would remove all the leaven from their houses... Which was, a, was symbolic of removing sin, getting rid of the, those things that would influence, influence us in the wrong way, leading up to Passover. And remember when the Jews celebrated Passover, it looked back to what? That miraculous deliverance of the children of Israel from where? From Egypt. 
But not only did it look back, their celebration looked back, it looked forward to who? To Jesus. Our Passover. Every time they sacrificed a lamb, every time they brought that Passover lamb for their families and sacrificed it, it was pointing forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And isn't it great in the middle of this heavy, it's heavy, isn't it? It gets heavier. Just wait. It's good. We need it. But right in the middle of this, what does Paul do? He points them back to Jesus. Right at the center of all of this. He says, you are unleavened. In other words, you're free from leaven. You're free from corruption. Uncorrupted. Free from faults. How am I free from faults? Well, it's because of Jesus Christ. He is my Passover. Jesus Christ gave his life for me that I might be forgiven. My sins forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. Isn't that good news this morning for us, Christian? Our sins are gone. His death and resurrection has brought freedom and life, help and hope to every one of us. But we're still a little messed up, aren't we? Aren't we still a little messed up, you guys? Not a whole lot of amens. <laughs> Listen, the same flesh that's in me is in you. My flesh is as sinful today as the day I got saved. My flesh needs no help whatsoever. You give your, your flesh an inch, the flesh wants to take what? A mile. That's why Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He didn't come to sanctify our flesh to redeem our flesh. He came to, to not only to forgive us, but to come into our lives and give us a brand new nature with new strength, new desires, to walk in the newness of life, to live for him. And as we take up the cross, we experience his power. And so he says, in light of this, let us keep the feast. Let us celebrate. We're to celebrate, you guys. And I don't think he's saying keep the actual feast. Hey, go travel to Jerusalem and do this. Because of what he says here. You need to address this like the week preceding Passover, where every house was purged of leaven and unleavened bread was eaten. Not with old leaven, not with the evil influence that needed to be removed, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. So you're to celebrate, not with the old leaven, the old stuff you were doing, nor with, Matt, what's malice? Let me give you an illustration. When someone does us wrong, and we're looking to see how we can get even. I'm plotting, and I'm planning, and I've got evil intent, and, and then it plays out. Hey, you guys following with me? I, listen, I know it happens to us. Someone says something at school. We have some kids here. And you're the whole week, and you're thinking, how am I going to get even? How am I going to get back at this person? That's malice or wickedness. He's like, this is the stuff that needs to go. This corrupting influence of evil needs to go. And then he says how we are to celebrate. Look what he says. But unleavened, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Pure, purity, pure inner motives, purity, and what is right in accordance with God's word, what is true to reality. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, you haven't told the truth. You haven't been honest. You're substituting tolerance for truth. 
It's time to tell the truth. It's time to walk in the truth. You've been walking in a way you shouldn't be walking, church, he's saying to them. Be vigilant. Don't allow any bit of leaven, not because of the law, but because of love for your Savior, because of love for Jesus. Again, so when we gather together, it's not to celebrate sin, not to show how tolerant we are, but to celebrate Jesus Christ, the one who has forgiven us, the one who's working in us. And he says, there are some things that you've been endorsing and accommodating in your life. Those things need to go. And to walk in purity, to walk in truth, and to allow the power of the Lord, which is there, to bring healing and help to your life. Are you with me this morning? Do you believe the power of the Lord is here? Does everybody, hopefully we all believe. You guys remember Luke chapter 5? When Jesus healed the, the man that was crippled. You guys remember that? He got let down through the... Awesome story, isn't it? Remember how that story, it started, the story? Jesus was in a house sharing the word of God. The place is packed. You know who had the front row seats? I think it's why no one sits in these front two rows all the time. Remember who was in the front row? The Pharisees and the lawyers, the experts in the word. The Bible answer, men. So interesting. Because it says in verse 16 of that chapter, go check it out later when you get a chance. It says the power of the Lord was there to heal them. To heal them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the Bible answer men, they were in need of healing. But what were they saying? Oh, all we got to do is fast forward to Luke 18. Remember when the Pharisee went to pray and the tax collector? You guys remember that? What did the Pharisee say? Oh, I give money, I do this, Lord, you know what I do. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like so-and-so over here. This bozo tax collector. And then the tax collector said what? He couldn't even look to heaven. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And it was the tax collector that went away justified not the Pharisee. Why? Because he said, I got no problem. I'm good to go. And we, can, and we can think that, you guys. But there's a Pharisee that lives in our hearts that can think, you know what? That's not me. That's not talking about me. I'm not involved in sexual immorality. But guess what? We're going to read in just a minute about covetousness, about idolatry, and other things that we may harbor or, or hold on to or endorse and we don't address those in our own lives or come alongside anyone else to help them in that. And so let's, let's keep rolling. Paul clarifies his instruction, verse 9, as we finish here. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle. So that was a, a previous epistle, which we don't have. I wrote to you in my epistle, what? Not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world but now I have written to you not to keep company with who anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard, or an extortioner, 
not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So what is Paul saying here? If we look at verse 9 real quick, he says, I wrote you in the earlier epistle not to keep company. Literally means not to mix it up with, to be tangled with, to be intimately associated with sexually immoral people. But he says, listen, I'm not talking about sexually immoral people of this world, unbelievers. I'm not talking about unbelievers engaged in this stuff. Why? Because you need to leave the planet, right? Those people need to hear about Jesus. You need to mix it up with them, like Jesus did. Contact without contamination, right? They need to hear about the love of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. That's why we invite unbelievers to church, that they might get saved. They will hear the gospel here. They will be given an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. But not only that, we gather together for discipleship. For believers to grow. So it's important to understand that as we look at this passage. That he says, I'm not saying you need to, you need to avoid these un- immoral people of the world, the covetous. What's covetous mean? Those are the people that want more stuff than they have. Extortioners. What are, what's an extortioner? That's someone that cons someone to get what they want. Idolaters, people that value things over God. Paul's like, we, we need to connect with them in order for them to get saved. But let me clarify, he says in verse 11, as a Christian... You are not to get mixed up with, tangled up with, associate intimately with, continually, someone who says they're a Christian who is sexually immoral. So that person, you've, you've gone to them, you've been brokenhearted over their situation, you've prayed for them, you've come alongside them, you've walked through the process to help them, and they're saying, I don't care what you say, I don't care what the pastors say, I don't care what the elders say. I don't, want, I don't care what the church says. I'm going to keep going the way I'm going. And what does it say here? We're not to contangle with them. We're not even to eat with them. And he also adds, notice he also adds there in verse 11, the reviler, the person that talks against another person, the drunkard, the one that's continually under the influence of alcohol, or an extortioner, one who rips off people. And you know what's interesting? Some people will sometimes come to me and say, Pastor, you got to kick those, that couple out of the church. Let me tell you what they're doing. Before I can say time out, did you, did you pray? They're spilling everything on me. But here's the thing. As we read this passage, those same people don't come to me and say, hey, it's time to kick out people who shop too much. It's time to kick out those people that are putting too much on their credit cards and can't pay for it. And they're kiting this credit card and that credit card. Buying stuff to impress people they don't even give a rip about. Are you with me? It's like, we need to check our hearts, you guys. Before we start all of a sudden becoming judge, jury, and executioner. 
There is a process the Lord wants us to follow to help people, to see them reconciled. And Paul says, it's not my job to judge unbelievers. Verse 12, why as a church are you not dealing with this issue, he says to them. You're allowing this destructive behavior to continue. You're enabling this. Your tolerance is not helping them at all. You need to confront and correct and help them. Help that person. And then he finishes, and this is so interesting. Look at verse 13. Those outside, who are those outside? Unbelievers, thank you. Paul says, listen, God, let God deal with judging unbelievers. Isn't it interesting? Let God deal with judging unbelievers because we can judge unbelievers, can't we? How could those people do that? How, how could that politician do that? How could Hollywood put out that? How could this person... And it's like, how could they not? They're blind. They're dead. They're lost. That was me. That was you. That was us. They don't know any better. That was our condition. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus made us alive. Let God deal with them. But then he's like, listen... You've handled it the right way. The steps have been taken. Now, guess what? If that person is still dug in, now you draw a line. You treat them as an unbeliever. You handle it in a way that they understand the message. I love you, but I can't fellowship with you. You're resisting the love of God. I'm trying to help you. You need to wake up to the love of God. You're ruining your life. Part of our responsibility, you guys, as a church, is to confront the unrepentant person that's in, involved in willful sin for the good of our brother, for the health of the body, and to honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, listen, God is trying to pull that person back to his heart. Do you, do you guys understand that? God is trying to pull that person back to his heart and they're resisting. And that type of a lifestyle does not express a life that's been changed, renewed, regenerated, a life that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose in all of this is what? That they'd come home. Guys, that is the heart of God, that they come home. That should be our heart. Are you, if, you don't, if you don't catch anything, that should be our heart, that they would come home, that they would, they would be helped, not to harm them. I think we get that wrong so often in, with church discipline. We've got to pound them. No, no, no. We've got to help them. When they get put out, the world will pound them. Satan will pound them. They'll get pulverized. They'll hit the wall. But you need to be there to welcome them back. Like the heart of the Father. Are you on the run this morning? Are you resisting? Are you hiding sin? Come home. If that's you. Hey, maybe you've got some old leaven. Some of the old ways, you're still clinging to them. Things you haven't given up, you haven't released to Jesus. 
you're holding on to. Maybe you're tolerating stuff, accommodating some, some type of leaven in your life that you know the Lord's been showing you. It's time to get rid of it. Listen, the Lord is here with the power to heal. To heal, to help, to set you free. I would say don't be a Pharisee in the front row here. Say, Lord, I get it. I hear you. I will respond to your voice and make that adjustment. And you know what he'll do? He'll bring his healing and his help to your life for his glory in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much. Such a heavy passage, Lord Jesus, but so needed, so necessary. I pray, God, we've divided it correctly. Help us to apply it correctly. That our hearts would be like yours. So often we're so far from your heart in this area. Thank you for the needed correction, the necessary correction this morning.